What's cool. up, Eric? Hey, Jason. Welcome, welcome to episode uh, 40 of the Harmonics Podcast. Wow, thanks a lot. I feel really special how and many, old. How many episodes have you been on in the 40 episodes? Zero? Not one. Yeah? Dun, dun. Well, this is your first, and this one is all about you. Uh, so today we're joined by producer at Harmonics, Jason Kendall. Yeah, crowd, crowd loves it. Um, so every once in a while, we like to sort of profile a Harmonics employee. Uh, people find it interesting for whatever reason. Um, people are bored. <laughs> people are bored. Well, that's, yeah, bored people especially listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured you would be a great person for this. You are one of those personalities that when you work at Harmonics, you sort of embody, embody Harmonics in a way. Or at least what people perceive harmonics to be. Uh, I don't want to so much call you a mascot. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but well, no, no. There's that first suit Alex got me, but that's for that's for <laughs> that's for off hours right. stuff. Off hours, holidays, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Bar mitzvahs. <laughs> so, Jason, let's let's delve into the world of Mr. Jason Kendall. You joined Harmonics when? April 2003. 2003. Uh-huh. So this is pre-Guitar Hero. Yeah, yeah, we were making uh, we we had just finished making Amplitude mm-hmm. and um actually came in to test Amplitude. That's when I first learned about harmonics from my friend Ryan. Your friend Ryan Lesser? Who, who is the art director here? Was he the art director then? He was. Um and you know, I, I just thought it was the coolest place. And being a musician, having been involved in music my whole life, I, I thought this was... And my band had just gotten off the road. Yes. Uh, we had been on the road for like eight years. and Eight years. So this is why I wanted to have you on. Like, you are one of the examples of like... One of the, you know, one of the PR things we always say when we're out there is harmonics is like 80% musicians. Um, and you're one of those guys who... This wasn't like a weekend project. This was your life for a decade or more, right? Yeah, more than eight years. I mean, yeah. just wait, we did some hard, hard touring for eight years where I think the average, I talked to um, our old label manager and, and my old manager, and I, I, the average, I was told, was 205, 205 dates a year. That's the average. That's, some years were, were more, some years insane. were less. That is like professional wrestler level uh, on the roadness. It was crazy. I, you know, uh, we didn't have apartments. Uh, you know, you quit all semblances of normal life. You just live in the van. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. Let's, sure. let's get some insight into that world because I think uh, that in particular will interest our listeners. So It's been a long time, Eric. I don't know. No, go you okay. reminisce or, or be bitter. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? It's the... It's, I think everybody should do it. Yes. You know, it's, it's, and I'm really lucky that we got to tour the world, basically. So your band, um, which some listeners might even know, uh, was the Amazing Royal Crowns. Right. Later changed to the Amazing Crowns right. due to we, lawsuits. Yeah, we got sued by uh, Royal Crown Review. That was fun. <laughs> that was funny, actually. We got served. We were on tour in Chicago. We were playing with Pegboy. Uh-huh. And they served us. And it was really fa- funny. I don't know if you know Pegboy. They're a naked ray gun related band in Chicago. They're no. great. Um, and they were like, we're at the club at Soundcheck and we get served. And they're like, you want us to go out and kick that guy's ass? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it's cool. Was it just like some weirdo? Like, the, No, it's just a serv- that, the, you know, a yeah. court server guy, you know, and just no big deal. So, But the papers, it was like this. It was oh my huge. God. You know, a lot of paperwork. 
So that I mean that's that's a really interesting. We don't want to get too into it because of law. law oh, I don't lawyers, care. It's, it's, I would think statute of limitations has run out <laughs> at this point. It's been a long time. But that happened to a friend of us that also works here, like with the band name thing. I, I, I don't understand how that has legal ground to be like, oh, we had this name first, so uh, give it over. Well, for us, we lost the suit, right? I mean, yeah. we uh, we had our first album got reissued three times. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? Wow. So. The first time we were on an indie label here in Boston, and then we, um, and no, the first time, I'm sorry, the first time, and I'm, I'm, we're from Providence, I'm from Providence, Rhode Island, and the first time we, we put it out ourselves, right? Ryan Lesser did the artwork. Um, oh, really? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, all the artwork. Huh. Um, huh. And then and then an indie label in Boston picked us up, Jeff Marshall's label, who used yep. to work here. Um, and then we got reissued, he, he sold us, he licensed us to a, to a major. Yeah. To Velvel, which was a BMG, you know? So we actually, it got released again. So at that point, there was a lot of lot of product in the marketplace. And I think Royal Crown Review's contention was that it's confusing people. And you know what? In retrospect, it was. Yeah. It probably was. Yeah. There's but it was a, fun. Yeah. Who cares? There's no musical crossover there. Well, those guys are a swing band, right? Right. And, you know, our single, Do the Devil, had horns. Right. The one well, basically, song, we're a punk rockabilly band. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, it's it's funny. I mean, in in when looking back on it, it's it's just kind of it's just kind of funny to me. Both of you could agree, Royal Crown is a great product. Oh yeah, man. We took <laughs> uh, we they used to the Royal Crown companies, yeah. which is the Jay Strickland company in Memphis. They gave us a tour of the Royal. Oh Crown. really? Yeah, I have pictures of myself in the factory. Nice. Yeah, it's hilarious. So if someone has the original issue of your album, it actually says the Amazing Royal Crowns on it. Oh yeah. Because the one I have just says the Amazing Crowns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, the funny thing about that whole lawsuit is, well, we had to, I think we had to take like 50,000 pieces of vinyl and, and, and CDs off the, off the racks. I can't remember. Um, well, we sold a lot. We sold like 175,000 of that first Jeez. record, which is good. Um, but the, the funny thing about that is that people really picked up on the fact that we, it looked, for all intents and purposes... From the outside, it looked like we were getting beat up by Warner Brothers, <laughs> right. which we kind of were. But I think we came out looking better. It made you like the underdog. Yeah, because yeah. people used to go out to their shows with signs <laughs> saying "Still Royal to the Loyal," which right. we cre- we created. You know, this "Still Royal to the Loyal" catchphrase. The Loyal of the Royal, right? Yeah, Loyal to the Royal. Yeah, I, yeah. I screwed up. Tongue twister. Time. Yeah. Did, was there ever a time after that when you were both playing in the same town? Well, while that whole thing was happening, man, it was funny. It happened a couple <laughs> times. The first time it happened was in the very beginning, before they sued us. We were on the Warp Tour. We, we did, like, two Warp Tours. Mm-hmm. We did two full Warp Tours. And before that, we did, like, Philly and D.C. and Boston and Providence. They sort of, what they do on the Warp Tour is they test you out first, and then they throw you on the whole thing. Um, and that time when we were, like, being tested out, playing specific dates, select dates, those guys were on the whole Warp Tour, Royal Car Review. And uh, they, they came over, and they're like, hey, man, you, you ever think about changing your name? <laughs> and at the time, we were just the Royal Crowns. Our album hadn't been out, so uh-huh. we were like, cool, we'll put the Amazing Royal Crowns, which is goofy, but, <laughs> you know, we, we well, did it's it. it's like the Mighty Mighty Boss tone. Yeah, it's it like, is. It is. It's like the Mighty Mighty Boss tone. It's fine. But those guys are better than us, so <laughs> it's okay. Um, which you toured with for a ton of time. Ton yeah, of we've done about 120 dates with the Boss Tones. Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah, I love those guys. Um, so, so yeah, man, it was. So we changed our name. So then, 
as we started touring a lot, we started picking up tours with the Cramps and Reverend awesome. Horton Heat and Amazing. the Boston's and the Super Suckers and Social Distortion and on and on and on. We started touring a lot. And we would run into those guys once in a while. So I'd <laughs> run into them in L.A. at Spaceland. I'd run into Eddie Nichols, right, mm-hmm. which is the singer. Uh, it was really funny, actually. <laughs> Jack, our, our, our bassist, um, at the time he had a little recorder, a little cassette recorder, because we used to write songs in the van, right? So he'd have the cassette recorder. So he he put it in his pocket and he went up to Eddie Nichols and we're all hanging out and we started talking about the whole lawsuit thing. So we have Eddie Nichols on tape going, wah, wah. Yeah, man, I don't think I should change your name. You shouldn't have to do that. You know? So he was the penguin. Yeah, well, we always, well, we always talked about uh, those guys like they were W.C. Fields or in like a, yeah. like a 20s noir film, you know? Yeah, see? Wah, see? This one's going to be. Get away, sticks. They dressed the part with yeah. the zoot suits. Yeah. And all, yeah. Whatever, they're good guys. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but that's why I wanted you on. You have so many good stories. But let's talk about, so if we're putting this in the context of what we do with Rock Band, you started as just a four-person band, yeah? Out of yeah. Providence? Yep, like, out of Providence. Started from the ground up, right? And then you, how did it work? Oh, my God. You got a following in Providence, so that spread to Boston, and then you got the, you we had, made the album. We had the best work ethic of any one of the best work work ethics of most bands. Like, we just we started out in Providence and you know played house parties and whatever have you. And we took any gig we could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And we were never afraid of playing on different bills. At the time, there wasn't like a rockabilly scene. Sure. There was a rockabilly scene in Boston, uh, but not in Providence. Yep. And we didn't even fit into a pure rockabilly scene because right. we were much more punk rock. So we would just take anything. You know, we we played on very eclectic bills yeah and then you know we were never afraid to just travel and just play anywhere and that just started so you just just sort of that classic story of like putting in the work like just going out along the road that's all it is yeah yeah and making connections you know and making friends with bands that's awesome and it's also right place right time sure yeah um so you Put out the album. Oh, yeah. So we put out a couple singles, yep. And then we put out the album locally. Uh, it started getting a lot of press. We won the Rumble. That's the, what I wanted to say. The segue. BCN yeah. Rumble, yeah. Which is happening again now. So, yep. So this is a, an annual thing, and it's a big deal in Boston. Or I guess I don't know if it is anymore. It, well, no, I think it is a big thing in Boston. And I know they're, this year's a pretty good year. There's a lot of good bands in the Rumble. Many of our coworkers bands. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they asked me to judge. and there's. I'm oh, like, really? Yeah, and I'm like, ah, there's a lot. I know. <laughs> <laughs> She's like... Look at the schedule and tell me what bands you don't know. I'm like, I know every band. <laughs> I can't. I know right. someone from almost every band. I think band. everyone has been on the podcast, too. So Helen's band, uh, Tijuana Sweetheart, yep. Amin's band, Spirit, yep. Kid, Spirit Kid, Daniel Sussman's band, the Acro Brats. Mm-hmm. I want to say there's another... Is there another harmonics-related band? I, the, I just know a lot more Boston more. bands, too. That yeah, that, there, oh, yeah. That, that too. Maybe that's what I'm thinking, just like other friends' bands. But yeah, it's crazy. So it's this competition... Used to be by BCN. BCN, yeah. Well, no, the the Rumble is actually uh, pretty awesome. You know, I mean, I'm not really down with you know band competitions per yeah. se, but this one's pretty cool. There's a, a real good spirit of you know everybody's on the same team type type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the prizes are really good. You get a ton of studio time. You get a ton, you get a bunch of money. You get paid for every night you play. Nice. And uh, you get national recognition and. You know, uh, a lot of connections, like record deal connections. Yeah, it's been going on since 77 or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah and we're one of two. Uh, I think we're the, we were the second out-of-town band to ever win it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Boom, Boston. <laughs> Boom, roasted. 
Uh, that's awesome. So you went on the road for 200 plus days a year. Yeah. Um, you've got some pretty <laughs> great stories. I would. I was wondering if you would tell a story about Dick Dale. <laughs> yeah, I'll or tell I, or well, I, I, could re, I could recite it for you. <laughs> no, I, it's it's not a big deal. But so, um, Dick Dale, king of the the surf guitar, king of the, the surf guitar. You yeah. know, Dick Dale's amazing. Uh, he still he, plays shows now. He still plays shows. I saw him at uh, last year's Nam convention. People, people um, would know him from Miserlou and the yeah, pulp, pulp Fiction soundtrack. The whole Pulp Fiction soundtrack. I mean, but he really is the king of the surf guitar. Sure, and he's super talented. The guy can play his ass off. He's amazing. Um, but, you know, the, a lot of these guys that have been around a long time and have sort of uh, created a genre, if you will. Yeah. Although, you could go back and say the Champs actually started that or the Ventures. Oh, but yes. But Dick Dale's much more technical. Um, <laughs> he's a little full of himself. You know? <laughs> I, I always like to separate the art from the artist. Yes, definitely. You know? Especially too. since meet, you, you know, meet, when you meet a lot of artists. Right. Like, uh, I hate you, but I love your music. No, no. Sure, but I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm attracted to you, but I can't deal with you. No, you can't. No. no. I'm a so, bear to work with. So, uh, you are a bear. Yeah. But that's in the whole nother uh-huh. story. Um, <laughs> Dick Dale, right. So The Crown's first ever show. Oh, really? Yeah, these, I'm oh glad you said God. this. The first ever show we've ever played was with Dick Dale. That's a good first show. Yeah, it was great, actually. You know? um, yeah, we, so we, we knew a lot of people in Providence yeah. at the time. But this was before Pulp Fiction came out. Right. So I, would, I had seen Dick Dale a few times, you know, because I worked at a record store at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, I've always been a fan of that genre of music. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Dick Dale was coming out. So you go see him and with your 30 other people, tops. You know, there'd be 30 people there. Yeah. So we, we open up and it's our first ever show. And, you know, 250 people show up. Oh, my God. You know, at, and it was at Babyhead in Providence, which uh, that club's no longer around. Um, and, we play the show, and it's awesome, and, you know, a lot of people left after our set. That's usually what happens. <laughs> um, and we knew we weren't going to get paid much, and we were just psyched to play it. <laughs> and then the night goes, then the night happens, and Johnny, our guitarist, goes and gets paid, and they give him 25 bucks. <laughs> 25 bucks. And, and Johnny's like, ooh, 25 bucks. Are you sure? I mean, because, you know, you saw all the people we drew, right? And they're like, yep, Dick Dale's got a guarantee. You know, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it is, you sure. know. So he goes to t- – now, Johnny, you know, he- <laughs> I wouldn't have done this, but he- he's like, ah, I'm going to go talk to Dick Dale. You know, God bless him. Uh-huh. So he goes-, he goes and talks to Dick Dale, and he says, he says hey, Dick. And, and at this point, we all kind of backed him up. We went over with him. And he's like, Dick, um, you saw the show. It was a great show. You know, we're big fans, and we've been seeing you for years, and we were honored to play with you. And you saw the club, it was packed out, you know, and, and a lot of them left after our set, and this was our first show, and we know a lot of people came to see us and enjoyed the whole night, and is there, they give us 25 bucks. Is there any way we can get any more money than that? And he looked at us, and he goes, welcome to rock and roll, kid. <laughs> and I thought that was, uh, that was the end of the story, right? right? But no big sure. deal, right? It's like lesson learned. Welcome to rock and roll. Sure. There it is, you know? <laughs> um, and then the next morning... Uh, we had to go to Boston for a gig, and I think Dick did too. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it's before Pulp Fiction hit, so he's like touring in a beat-up old RV. He was broken down on the side of the road on 95, <laughs> and we passed him, and Johnny opens the window and leans all the way out, and he goes, Welcome to rock and roll, Dick! <laughs> and just kept trucking. Could have helped him, but kept going. That's yep, awesome. Yep. And then, you know, we played with him so again good. years later, and he totally did those things where he's like, I don't want you guys in my dressing room. Uh, <laughs> you guys can only have this much of the stage, you know? That seems... 
like I've heard a lot about Chuck Berry in particular. Like, oh, I have Chuck Berry stories because he still tours and he he demands like he demands his money in cash and like certain bills, certain denominations. We played with Chuck Berry. Okay, once I at, didn't know that. That's the, awesome. Uh, yeah, at the at the Hootenanny uh-huh. in California. And I mean, I didn't. My only interaction. We ready? This is my interaction yeah. with Chuck Berry. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> so I'm. Uh, we played our set, and it, it's an outdoor venue. And I'm backstage, which is like sort of just roped off in a field behind the stage. And I'm, I'm hanging out, and I'm talking to Margaret Cho. Actually. Okay. Yep. Wow. Because she likes rockabilly, and she liked our band, and we're talking. And I, I'm leaning against a tan, like a cream-colored tan Cadillac. Uh-huh. I'm leaning against the Cadillac. And like, we're like, yeah, we're talking, blah, blah, blah. The sun's out. You know, the band's going to – we're psyched to see Chuck Berry. And uh, this huge bouncer comes out, like bouncer-looking guy, bodyguard guy, goes – Get off the car! Get off the car! And starts running across at me. Whoa. And I was like, whoa, what? You know? I'm like, oh, okay, okay. He goes, you know, the, you know who the hell's car that is? I'm like, no, no, sir. I, I have no idea. And he goes, that's Mr. Barry's car. I'm like, oh, I'm, please tell Mr. Barry I'm sorry, you know? And I kind of, you know, leaned up. And all of a sudden, where I was leaning, the, the, the driver's side window goes, Halfway, uh-huh. the window's been tinted, right? You don't know who's in there. Just halfway, and it's Chuck Berry. And he goes, "Thank you, son." And then he goes, and again, "That's it." Just sitting in his car just by himself. Car. Oh my god! And the promoter told me that like he he has to get half up front and yes. then the rest in cash in a bag. Yes, before he goes on stage. Yep, I've heard that too, and that's that's so weird. And then but... he has this thing right in his contract that I've read about uh-huh. where he gets an extra. Certain amount, like a couple grand, whatever it might be, if the band screws up. What? Yeah. So a lot of times, if, oh, if his backing band, his backing, right? Because he doesn't travel band. with a band. And right? I think Bruce Springsteen has a story about backing him. <laughs> I've read somewhere where they're like, "Oh, Chuck, what are we gonna play? What are we gonna play? What songs are we gonna play?" And he looked at him and he goes, "Chuck Berry songs." <laughs> And then he gets up there, and he starts things in the wrong key. Oh, wow. So it trips the band up, and then he can get the money. Oh, my God. But he's still awesome. Of course, of but course. he's still awesome. Art Chuck from Berry. the artist, yes. That dude, man, he, he, he fought the wars, yes. the rock and roll wars. Yes. Him and Little Richard. Yep. So. Yeah. No, they laid the groundwork for everything. Yep. Um, that's hilarious. Uh, I think it's super cool that you got to tour so much with the Cramps. Um, oh, they're my possibly one of my all-time favorite bands. Right, and they were before you toured with them, right? So yeah, that must right. have been what? Um, How long was the tour, or was it multiple uh, tours? We did about two-month tour. Yeah, um, that happened actually. The tour. Well, we actually played with them at Lupo's in Providence once. They asked us to play with them, nice. and then they asked us to go on tour months later or years later. I can't remember, but that happened from a flip side. Do you remember that magazine, Flip Side? It used to be a punk rock magazine no. called Flipside. And we were in it a couple times, and this one time we were in an interview, and they had said to us, any, name any band in the world, who would you want to play with? And every one of us were the Cramps, the Cramps, mm-hmm. the Cramps, Cramps. And years later, when the Cramps asked us to play, Lux Interior went up to me, and, he's, and he said, he goes, you know, you know why you're on this bill? <laughs> and I was like, no. He goes, that Flipside interview, you know, thank you. <laughs> That's and awesome. It's like, wow, you know, I can't believe you read Flipside. Right. But then, you know, going on tour with those guys was possibly one of the greatest experiences of my life. Yeah, and you as a singer and him as a singer, I mean, that must have been pretty direct, like, Lux Interior, hero sort of, sort of deal, right? Big time, yeah. Lux Interior is possibly, yeah, he's, it's James Brown, Iggy Pop, Lux Interior. Yeah, it's nice. Me, it's, a good, it's a good triumvirate yeah. there. Yeah. So, what's it like? I, I, there's, 
lots of people have stories where they do eventually meet a hero and it's like, oh, I wish I, I hadn't. But it sounds like yours was a really positive experience. Yeah, I've met a lot of lot of artists that I, you know, have been influenced by and love, but and then it turns out to be not so positive. Yeah. But Lux Interior and Poison Ivy are the best. They Lux got you know rest in peace. Um, he died a few years back, a couple years back. A couple, yeah. Yeah. Um, but those he they're both amazing. Amazing people. That's awesome. Uh, super talented. They're historians of rock and roll. I mean, if you see their house, it's it's filled with every record you could possibly imagine that dates back to the early days of rock and roll and all these obscure garage bands you've never oh, heard so of. Cool. And, oh, they're amazing. I remember walking through. We as part of that tour, we were um, we had to go. Uh, we played at Disney World, right? The House of Blues, which is right on the <laughs> Disney Disney World property in Florida, and. Ivy wanted to go look for masks and hats, you know, in Disney World. So he's like, all right, well, you know, Lux and Ivy want you to go to Disney World. We'll walk with Lux, Lux and Ivy. Oh, were they all like in their, in oh, their get yeah. up too? Oh, yeah. Yep. They Scared those all guys the kids. Serious. <laughs> you know what's funny about those guys? They're vegans. Really? Yep. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Healthy living. Yeah. Because I think they've gone through so much sure. of the drugs back in the day and the, you know, the hard living. I would, I would. Uh, entreat anyone listening who doesn't know the cramps to just YouTube a few vi- like live yeah. videos. Yeah, um, amazing front man. Like like he used to put the whole microphone in his mouth. I actually have Lux Interior's mic stand at my house. Really? Yeah, I have one of the mic stands from that tour. He used to take this. He used to do this thing where he he's really tall and he's really strong. He's very skinny, but he's like really tall and strong. And he would take the mic stand. It's just a regular straight stand with a Shure mm-hmm. SM58 in it just like the ones we're using. Yep. Well, the same shape. Yep. And he would take that mic stand and basically turn it into a pretzel, like crazy straw. <laughs> really? Just, yeah, bend it and make all these crazy <laughs> oh shapes. Oh, my God. And, like, and every, they had, they used to have grosses of mic stands and shores, <laughs> and they would super glue them in. So I actually have his oh mic and word. mic stand all tore up, and it's got, um, it's got red gaffer's tape all over it, you know, and that's how you knew it was his. Right, and the mic specifically, he'd put the whole thing in his mouth and then bite the yeah. top off, right? One of my favorite shows with those guys <laughs> and seeing him was um, in, where was it? Oh, gosh. It's Dallas, Texas. And he, he bit the micro- microphone head off and the ball was hanging in his mouth and blood was pouring down his chin and the band was just blazing behind him <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> into the audience and it like cut through his lip, right? Yeah, it cut through him. Yeah. Oh, man. Radio won't do it justice. Podcast no. won't do it just, justice. Yeah, no, but. you got to look it up. There, there are some really good uh, YouTube videos, like that show they played in the oh, mental, the mental asylum. Oh, the Napa, Napa Valley Mental Asylum, I think. That's so Napa State, yeah. Crazy. Like the, the very idea of it, it's awesome. Yeah, and they like, actually played a mental asylum. Yeah. I, it was in the it's late just 70s. like in the rec room. It's yeah. like this old, grainy, black and white security yeah. camp. I love that. He's like, he's like, you know. A lot of people think you guys are messed up. <laughs> a lot of think you're just all right. One, two, three. You know, they, they're all they're freaking yeah, out. Yeah. And, and they actually invade the stage. Oh, totally. It's amazing. And they scream into the mics. Yeah. It's so good. It's all on YouTube. People should check it out. Yeah. Um, wow. So you did eight plus years on the road. Got, eventually you got tired of that, yeah? Yeah, we got really burnt. Yeah. I can imagine. You know, in retrospect, it... it it was just too much touring and not enough creativity. You know, we, we should have come back a lot more and, and cut more songs and, and made more albums. Yeah. I believe. Because when the Crowns broke up, there were like 15 songs that never got committed. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Interesting. That we were playing in our set. And also, we had a lot of lineup changes, drummers. Yeah. 
you know? It's hard yep. to keep a drummer. Yep. Like Spinal Tap. One yep, just, exactly. One just spontaneously yep. combusted. Our longest-running drum, drummer was <laughs> Judd Williams, and he's a, he's a Boston native. Good guy. Great drummer. Yeah. So you had enough of the uh, rock and roll on-the-road lifestyle. You come back to Providence, look for a job, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I went back to my record store job. Okay. You know, which was good. Um, Do you want to give it a shout-out? Is it still open? Uh, in Your Ear Records. Oh, In Your Ear. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. We had a couple of them in Boston and one in Providence. Um, Is that the same one Kurt worked at? Uh, no, Kurt worked at Mystery Train. Mystery Train, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, I worked there forever and, uh, you know... But the thing is, I saw the writing on the wall. The way things were happening digitally, mm-hmm. I knew uh, I, I had to get in some sort of career. And I have, a, I have a degree in management and degree in culinary arts. Right. But I didn't want to go back to restaurants. Um, so, I, you know, Ryan said, hey, do you want to come to Harmonix and maybe learn how to use this 3D software? And you know a lot about music. And we're, you know, we're starting to make these uh, karaoke revolution games. So I actually came here as an intern. <laughs> and learned how to um, lip sync animate. So I was an, an, an animator for a while. Nice. And then I became a modeler. On? Uh, on all the karaoke's. Yep. And then on Guitar Hero 1 and 2. And then... Um, Character model or instrument model? Instrument yep. and props. Yep. And Antigrav, actually, also. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I also did the voiceover for Antigrav and for Guitar Hero. Nice. Um, I did all the motion cap, like the singing motion cap. Oh, for, nice. For Guitar Hero and for Rock Band, you know, in the beginning. Um, and then I'm still in there throughout. But You're, um, you're an unlockable I'm character. an unlockable character. Yeah, Helen put that King in there. Kendall, She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the funny. tattoo artist. Yep, that's me. <laughs> um, Famously covered in tattoos. <laughs> Yay. I can't even see your face. There's so I'm many so glad. On you yeah, right now. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm wearing the bell bottoms of the 90s. Oh, come on. Basically. It's not like you've got like the tribal tattoos and the, no, the barbed wire thank God. and the, the tramp stamp. No, I have no tramp no, stamp that you're you've doing seen. fine. You're doing fine. Yeah. You're doing fine. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I was an artist here and then I became a producer. Um, currently, what I do is I, I work on the music ops team, uh, licensing music for RBN for Rock Band, for Rock Band DLC, for Dance Central. So I work with artists and labels. Yeah, well, one thing that you sort of glossed over was how much work you did on licensing all of the uh, brands that are in the rock band. Oh, yeah, yeah. So That was a huge amount of work. Yeah, it was a lot of work, especially the musical brands, you know. So for rock band, all the rock bands, and for... um, the Beatles rock band yeah. and Green Day rock band. Um, there was a, there's a lot of different instrument companies that you'd have to deal with, and a lot of them. I don't think people even realize that that for every single instrument, amp, keyboard, drum, what a, microphone, microphone, pedal, you have to get you have to license their uh, the likeness rights, right? Yeah, it's or, crazy. And, and you know, in rock band, we have our choice about what we want to license. But in the Beatles, yep, we 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 strive for authenticity, absolutely. Right, so we needed to get. You know, brands that haven't been around and couldn't enforce yep. their marks, you know, and they just haven't been around for Not, so long. So yep. it's like, so for instance, I mean, well, some of them are still around, but they weren't comfortable being in the game. You know, like you go after, we went after Ludwig, yep. you know, f- in for later years of Ringo's kit. And that was no problem because we have a relationship yes. with, with Ludwig. Uh, but like he played the, a premiere kit, <laughs> you know, back in the day. And those guys, you know, we couldn't get them in. So and on so top you, of that, you have to manage relationships between the competing companies. Yeah, you the, have to get Ludwig these... to okay that you have another drum set. Yes, right exactly. Right? That's yeah, of... but it's easy. That's an easy argument to make. Sure. You know, you frame the message Especially in such with a the way. Beatles, yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, it's the Beatles. They played it. We didn't. 
I think that 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 particular job is probably one of the last things. If someone's guessing what people at Harmonics had to do for these games, like unless you're like really clued into this sort of stuff, I, I wouldn't even assume like, oh, making video games. Oh, I need to talk to each one of these companies and get their well, sign off. And- well, it's not only that, you know, it's it's you get their sign off to use the brand, but then you have to make sure that those. So for the be- uh, to go back to the Beatles again, yeah. which to me is. You know, it gave me gray hairs, but I'm most proud of that game. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Right. You know? And so it was a labor of love for us. That's how a lot us. of people here feel. Yeah. And, but the thing is, I just, there was so much work put into it. And mm-hmm. you, you'd have to get, um, so you'd have Lennon's guitar, have his Rickenbacker. Yep. Right. You'd have, I, one of my jobs at that time was to also run all the outsourcing, all the art, art outsourcing, right? So I'd have to go and get images for this Rickenbacker and make sure they were correct and then go back to Rickenbacker and be like, hey, so is this correct? They're like, yeah, that's it. Cool. I'm going to have it made. Go and have it made. Art direct it. You know, make sure that it's credible mm-hmm. and, and what it should look like. Make sure it has the proper amount of frets and it's the right pickup. And, and we even had a team that you worked with here that, that were like right. super Beatles enthusiasts. Right. That, uh, it would have to be the right model, but also had to be the right personal modifications. Like right. Paul would flip the the pick guard Always. on the, the right. Hoffner. He that's right. He did right because it wasn't uh, was it the hop. Yeah, uh, it was like it wasn't actually a lefty base. He just flipped the he, pick yeah something like so. that. Really, and he did flip the pick. Stuff. He actually flipped the pickups on some stuff too. Yeah, um, but so in 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 uh, in the case of the Rickenbacker. Sorry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the John Lennon Rickenbacker. So. I remember having a conversation with the CEO of Rickenbacker. Yes, you know, on the phone, and we were not arguing, but discussing um, when a crack in the pick card showed up. Hmm. And I feel like, well, uh, you know, I think it showed up in '62. Everything I found here says, you know, '61, '62, <laughs> and so we were going to put it on this song, which you know, in the game show, you know, <laughs> it was recorded in '61. Uh-huh. So I thought it should go on there, and he's like, well. I think that sounds right, Jason, but let me, hold on, let me, let me, let me get someone else. Let me ask their opinion. So you wait on the line, you hear this click, and he's like, Jason, this is Andy Babwick. <laughs> Andy Babwick wrote, I don't know, five books. He's the de facto Beatles authority oh, in America. He's, and, and I'm just like, oh my God, <laughs> you know? And then he would set me straight. No, it didn't show up then, and <laughs> showed up later. So then oh, I'd have to go God. back and, you know, change it in the texture or in the model and get that work I done. was still in QA on that game, and I remember spending countless hours staring specifically at the instruments and be like, oh, the binding at the top of this is a little too wide. And yeah. Like, it, the amount of attention to detail that we put into that game yeah. is insane. Yeah, totally. Um, it was awesome. Yes, I love certainly. That game. So Very proud of that game. You've also been doing a lot of work with uh, the Rock Band Network. Yes, yeah. Last six, seven months. Which is pretty cool. It just hit its one-year anniversary. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Still uh, going strong. Yeah, it's going really strong. We're at Rock Band Network 2.0 now, um, you know, uh, harmonies and pro drums are in there, and uh, there's a lot of content coming through, and I think it's it's an awesome pipeline and an awesome tool for uh, for independent bands, or for any yeah. band, if, if you own your masters, yes, you know, and you own your publishing. And back on the musical side of things, you've started another band with fellow harmonixers called Megasys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Megasys has myself on vocals. Our art director, Ryan Lesser, on guitar. Um, uh, one of our lead artists, uh, Brian Gibson, on bass. He's also in a band called Lightning Bolt. Um, and then another lead artist, uh, Paul Lyons. Actually, I'm sorry. He, Paul's on bass. Brian's on drums. Because <laughs> Brian plays uh, bass in Lightning Bolt. So right. I get confused. Lightning Bolt's on tour. They're a pretty big They're out band, right now, actually. yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I remember, I remember that's sort of one of those harmonic stories where like you're here for a while and then you realize like, oh wait, someone here is from that band? Yeah, totally. Really? And Brian keeps everything on the DL yes. too. He's right. Just very, Which is very cool. I yeah. think it's very cool. Yeah. He's yeah. awesome. Um, so but Megasus yeah, I, is a departure from the crowns. Yeah, Megasus is a... How would you a, describe it? A noisy metal band. Noisy metal. If you I've took, heard it is like you took carp, sludge. Yeah. Someone used the word sludge. <laughs> yeah, totally. So if you took carp uh-huh. and cross-pollinated it with um, hawkwind <laughs> and then stuffed it into a jar and put it in, in Tony Iommi's mouth, <laughs> that's what Megasus. He'd wow. spit out Megasus. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys uh, have one album out. We have one album, one working, five inch. Working on a new also. one, maybe. Yeah, we're working on the second one right now. While Brian's on tour, I have to put down scratch vocals to everything. And, and does Brian do all the album art for that? Uh, the last one Paul did. Okay. No, I'm sorry. The first one Paul did the full length. Oh, and really? Then the five inch Ryan did. Okay. And, you know, we all collaborate, but basically it's those guys doing the drawings. And I don't even have a record player, but I bought the vinyl. You did? Like, yeah, because it's like, I mean, the vinyl itself is awesome. It's like black and orange, right? Yeah. But the, just the art on it is super cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. So, yeah, I love that. I so love you're that keeping album. busy apart from the working. You've yeah, got a, You've got another cool band. Yeah, I love, I love Megasus. It's yeah. fun. It's got to be a good yeah. outlet. It's a great outlet. How did you and Ryan Lesser hook up? I've known Ryan. Ryan used to just come from growing up in Providence. Yeah, gr- well, just hanging in Providence. Ryan went to RISD, um, and he we all used to go to the same shows. Ryan was in a band called Haymaker, and then that I used to go see. And then he was in a band called the Laurels that I used to go see, and, okay. and the Crowns played with a couple times. Um, and we all it, the thing is the music scene in Providence is so small; everyone knows each other. And I worked at that record store, so everybody would come in, and he and I would constantly talk about music, and you know. We stayed in touch, and we, we, we became good friends. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, true or false? I want to have him on the podcast at some point. <laughs> you he's, totally should. He's canceled on me, so. Yeah, he's you, so busy, right? But he needs, yeah, he True would be or false, he and Shepard Ferry started Obey Giant together. The, that, not like the company, yeah, but the, yeah. Ryan the was actual very, like, tagging, tagging streets. I don't know if Ryan no? went out and tagged streets, but I th- he might have. But Ryan worked really close with Shep very, very early on. With screen printing and filmmaking mm-hmm. and a bunch of stuff, you know? It's a funny story. Shep used to print our shirts. Really? The crown shirts. Shep used to drop those shirts by my, by my apartment. So do you guys think, like, his massive, massive success nowadays is, is crazy? I think it's crazy, but I love Shep. And oh, yeah. I'm no, totally yeah. down with what he does. So, just and like, he's still an, uh, just a down-to-earth dude. He seems he, it, yeah. he comes to Providence. He says hi to all of us, and he hangs out. And I, <laughs> I love his work. Just because, like... When I think of that type of art, it's not something you would ever expect would have the cultural, the size of a cultural resonance that it's had. Right, but I think Shep, right, well, I think Shep understands that and kind of laughs at it to a certain sure. degree. Sure, yeah. You know? Yes, which I think is why he like shows up in things like the, the Banksy movie and all right, that. Right, exactly. Exit through the gift shop. Exactly. Yeah. No, That's, Shep's great, man. I can't say enough good things about him. I'm always, I'm always blown away by this. I... Coming from Maine, I don't I didn't really know anything about Providence as anything besides a city where they shot those Fairly Brother movies. Yeah. But I'm always <laughs> amazed by like some such a tiny city, like all all this crazy like art and music and all this awesome stuff that's come out of it. Providence is amazing. I, I what what is it about? I don't know. You know, there, there's a, just a stew of people. I don't know if it's because of RISD it, and yeah, Brown probably, or, yeah. or something. And, there, and it's also, there's all these abandoned mills in Providence. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, I, I think I've seen more mill shows than I've seen regular shows. And I've seen a lot of shows. Yeah. Um, so, 
every band. Like, if you want to be in a band, it's pretty easy to get space in Providence. You could just go to a mill building and just start That's practicing. Awesome. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to pay a lot of money. Um, and you can have de facto shows. Yeah. You could just have a show. And people will show up. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. And it lends itself to a certain type of creativity or open-ended yep. creativity. Yeah, like where I think of Boston, Boston doesn't really have those sort of areas. Like, I think it used to, but not, like... Well, like, Boston's got an awesome music scene and a sure. historical music, yes, music scene definitely. unto itself. Definitely. Providence is a different thing. Yeah. You know? Providence is a much more artier... That's what I mean. There isn't, there isn't that art. I know that there are tons of artists here and there are artist communities, but, like, it doesn't have that, like... That, that strong artist base that, that I feel like uh, Providence and Worcester, uh, where I lived for a while, actually has a strange amount of that, too. Well, I think Providence is kind of known for it. I think, I think Boston has it, right? But I think pro- one of the reasons Providence is known for it is this thing called Fort Thunder. Um, back in the day, in I think it was the early 90s. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I remember going to it. Paul Lyons lived at Fort Thunder. Was this like some sort of like commune place? It wasn't a commune, but it was a get together. A lot of artists lived there. They had they had shows there. They would have wrestling and shows there. <laughs> it was crazy. And there was everybody was making yeah. art there. So the place was amazing and, and, and really eclectic. And you know, you'd go there to get your posters, your rock posters screen printed. Nice. You know, and, and and there's a certain style of art that came out of Four Thunder. Huh. You know, um one of the other guys in Lightning Bolt, Brian Chippendale who actually is a fairly successful um, printmaker, and he, he puts out books. Um, he came from that whole cool scene. Wow. Yeah. So what does the future hold for Jason Kendall? Who? Uh, does anybody know? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm psyched that. that, you know, what I'm doing still at <laughs> harmonics. I, you know, I, I've been at harmonics for a long time. I love harmonics, and I think the future hopefully holds more harmonics for me. Yeah. Did you know? Well, I don't know if this is an official thing, but... but <laughs> We we have an understanding, at least in our department, that HR has rules, but then they have the, the Jason Kendall exception. Because you can be you can be sitting at your desk any any time of day, and someone will just come up behind you and just like put their butt on you, or touch your butt, or sit on your lap, or start rubbing you, and it's nine times out of ten it's you. Or it's someone who's like broken into the company and is like right, or someone trying to be me. Basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's the kindling, you know, which I really don't do much anymore. Um, and then yeah, there's there's some there's some butt bring play. it back. You should yeah. bring there's some butt play. <laughs> oh man, that might be the title of this podcast. There's some butt play. Ah. <laughs> uh. Well, I think I think we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Cool. Uh, I think that was a good discussion of uh, the man that is Jason Kendall. Nice to meet you all. Um, do you want to stick around? I'm going to do the DLC announcement. Yeah, you kidding feel me? Feel free since you're on the licensing team. Yes, team I work on. So next week, everybody. This is good. Uh, this is a good one. Get out your out on, get out your uh, feather roach clips. Coming out on Tuesday, uh, we have a Fleetwood Mac slash Stevie Nicks six pack. So that's four Fleetwood Mac songs, two Stephen Nicks songs. Stephen Nicks was in Fleetwood Mac, in case people don't realize mm-hmm. that. Went out with Lindsey Buckingham. So, yeah, they, they had all sorts of, like, inter, intermingling, Well, that right? was the whole thing about that band. You know, yeah, they were yeah, all yeah. sort of intermingling, right. kind of like ABBA. <laughs> really? Yeah, of course. Did ABBA intermingle? I believe they did. <laughs> did, they, did they intermingle with Fleetwood Mac? I, that would be an interesting <laughs> Swedish flick to see. Did you know Black Magic Woman is a Fleetwood Mac song? I think I did know that. I'm, I'm really big early. Do you know Peter Green? No. From Fleetwood Mac? 
Um, phenomenal guitar player, really heavy bluesman type. Yeah, stuff. I've never. I mean, I hardly know any Fleetwood Mac. Early like, Fleetwood Mac. I found is, that out. Yeah, I guess. All, they were I mean, bluesy. I love Fleetwood Mac. They, they they're you know pop geniuses, but sure. the early Fleetwood Mac is kind of heavy. That's that's crazy. Like, they did. I think um, Green Man Alicia with the two prong crown. I can't remember that Judas Priest covered. That's the title sure. of it. Yeah, do not know that song. <laughs> I'll have to take a look. I might yeah, be wrong. It's a mouthful. Don't um, quote me. All right, so the four Fleetwood Mac tracks are Dreams, Gold Dust Woman, Landslide, and Rhiannon. 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 Uh, and the two Stevie Nicks tracks are Edge of Seventeen and Stand Back. So Dreams and Edge of Seventeen both are authored for pro guitar and bass. And you can get that on Tuesday. Uh, there is no Dance Central DLC to announce this week. But yeah. Fleetwood Mac. I'm looking up Green Manalishi. <laughs> How do you Manalishi? Manalishi, yeah. Judas Priest what, covered it. What is a Manalishi? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Some sort of dragon with a two prong crown. That's the whole. Sounds like a dragon. Yeah. yeah, man. I think it's. I. I really do think that Fleetwood Mac covered it. Yeah. Yep. Written by Peter Green. Recorded by Fleetwood Mac. Famously covered by Judas Priest. Wow. There you go. Um, so thanks for joining us, Jason. Thank you for uh, chatting with us today. Thank you very much, Aaron. You're always welcome you, back Nick. anytime you want. Yeah, Nick, thank you for diddling the knobs as you do. Thanks for diddling those knobs. Yeah, diddle it away. Well done. Well diddled. <laughs> and we will uh, join you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.